Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and World of Warcraft. And at some point we will get to other games. I know we had people on Patreon who were asking if we would get to Overwatch and doing Overwatch lore. That is something I'd like to touch on, just not this week. I'm Ann Stickney. I'm one of two lore focus writers from Blizzard Watch. And I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me this week. Uh, first up, he's a dog sticking out his tongue on my Skype window. It's Joe Perez. Well, hello there. And hey... Blepping Sylvanas is always appropriate for any conversation. Is your dog's name Sylvanas? My dog's name is Sylvanas. Oh my gosh. Okay, you're a total nerd, Joe, but we love you. So, <laughs> our other co-host is a very shocked cat, a.k.a. Matt Rossi, our other lore columnist. Hey, Rossi. Hello, and if you knew anything about Sasquatch, my, my cat, you'd know that he is shocked by absolutely everything. There's a bird outside. You're walking down the stairs. Mommy has milk. There's a tree. <laughs> Literally everything surprises this cat. He is continuously amazed and befuddled by all life. He's, all, he's also named after a member of Alpha Flight. Oh, I gotta yeah. point that out. See, now that's... that's there we go. Again, yeah. you are also a nerd. So yes. I don't there's, a any... there's a reason we're all friends. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't have any pets, but if I did, they would probably be named after something dorky. I mean, I keep a plastic I keep a plastic stegosaurus on the dash of my car because Firefly. So <laughs> I, got I, a, this... I got a neat Therizinosaurus for Christmas, by the way. Cool. All yeah. right. Well, this talk... week... Oh, sorry. Say, we're, talking about, we're talking about getting a ferret, and I'm totally going to name it Garrus when I get it. Just saying. Yes, should. It can calibrate things. So uh, this week we're going to actually um, take a look at, well, I think last time we had, we had, a, we had to skip a week here because I had a family emergency come up. So if people are wondering why this is a week late, this is why it's a week late. We had a, I had an emergency come up. So we decided to just go ahead and push it to the next Sunday. Last time, though, last time when we were talking, we were talking about the Horde and the state of the Horde, if I remember correctly. Yes? That is correct. Okay. That's right, yeah. At the end of the show, we talked about the possibility of discussing the Vrykul and their role in Warcraft because they were introduced in Wrath of the Lich King, but they're kind of making a resurgence in Legion. So we're going to go ahead and talk about that, um, which sounds good to me. Rossi, do you want to kind of go over who these guys are? Okay. Um, this is going to be one of those summing up things where I, I can't possibly hit all the highlights, but the basic gist is the Vrykul are one of the seed races created by the Titans to help them shape Azeroth when they were shaping it. Um, various seed races include the Arthen, the Giants, the Tolvir, uh, the Mogu, and the Vrykul were more or less seem to be limited to Northrend and other places north in Azeroth, just like the Mogu were south, and although that that's, we'll talk about that later. Uh, the the, the, the Vrykul when they were originally created, were all made out of rock. They were they were rock people. They were giant rock people, kind of halfway between an earthen and a giant, sort of like an intermediate stage. And for a long, long time, that's that's who they were. They were big rock dudes who did what the Titans wanted. At some point, and we don't know exactly when this happened. It seems to have happened after the the Titans themselves left and put their Watchers in charge. The Curse of Flesh started hitting the Vrykul pretty hard. The first thing it did was shrink them down a little bit and make them fleshy, which is if you've been to Northrend and you've seen the giant ones who run around saying, you guys go flog. Those guys, those are the Vrykul, the first stage of the curse of flesh, turn them into basically gigantic, crazy Viking uh, Vikings, the size of a Tauren standing on top of an orc's shoulders. And th so that's, you know, they were okay with that. They're like, yeah, we're all right. We, we, we liked being made out of rock, but 
we're okay. As long as we're still giant, we're, we're okay with that. Unfortunately, the Curse of Flesh wasn't done with them. So they then hit the second stage, which is when they started getting much smaller. And they like really were children were tiny, tiny, tiny little children, like it, teacup sized children from their perspective. Uh, like, you know, I can hold the entire baby in like one on one finger. And they, they, they weren't most of them were kind of like horrified by this because these kids were going to grow up and be stunted Uni. by their perspective. Yeah. yeah. And the Vrykul's whole culture was about being powerful warriors. They fought for the Titans. They were in they were involved in the war. God knows how long ago that was. You know, this is one of those things where thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years pass and so forth. But they, they were not too down with all this. At the same time, while this was all happening, one of the, the major Titan Watchers, a guy named Loken, the prime designate, was uh, up to no good, for lack of a better term. He was colluding with uh, the old god Yogg-Saron, who had been locked up in Ulduar, and he uh, he wanted out, and... Loken wanted to let him out, but unfortunately, when he en- enacted his plan to like get the other Watchers all you know scattered and get the Titan servants basically put in stasis, he killed uh, Thorum, the the Thunder Watcher, killed his wife Sif, and as a result, Thorum banished himself, which meant that Loken couldn't get his sigil to open the locks uh, on Alduar. And as a result of that happening, there was nobody to really watch out for the Vrykul. The Vrykul were basically left to their own devices. So the Vrykul are sitting there going, where did the Titans go? Why are we shrinking? Why won't anyone tell us what's going on? Why can't we get any help? And one of them, a king named Ymiron, who was in charge of a lot of the Vrykul, not not all of them, but a, a big chunk of them, especially the ones in what we now call Howling Fjord, he said, no, uh, who's powerful enough to do this? There's only one answer, the Titans. The Titans are doing this to I say, no, we turn our backs on the Titans. They're no good. If they're doing this to us, they're no good. Um, we've been loyal servants, and this is what they, how they repay us. We're going to just kill them. All these little runts, we're going to kill them. As soon as they're born, you kill them. And if you refuse to kill them, we kill you, and then we kill them. Uh, some of the Vrykul obviously were like, um, they're short, but that doesn't mean that we have to murder them. I mean, you know, just... It's my th- tiny teacup, baby. I don't want to yeah. kill it. Yeah. So they... they we, we don't know how they left because we don't know exactly when this happened. We don't know if it was pre or post Sundering. But at some point, they took off. Uh, they may have just migrated straight south. They may have gotten on boats. I mean, they're Viking people. They probably had boats. Uh, either way, they ended up in what's now uh, Lordaeron. Specifically, it seems to be in Tirisfall is where they first landed. Uh, and they headed more or less straight straight east to what we now call Tyr's Hand. And it seems to be Tyr's Hand is where they were raised. Now, Legion puts some interesting questions in here, but for now, we'll just say they seem to be to have made landfall in those areas, and the places like Tears Hand, um, Tears Fall, and so forth. Those seems to be the places where they lived, and for a long time, that's where humans come from. Like humans are the Vrykul who just kept shrinking. Like they got shrunk down to human size and became humans. Now the Vrykuls up in Northrend who had like driven them out were like, okay, we got rid of all the, the runted, stunted ones. But now what do we do? We can't have children because if we do, they'll just turn into runts and we'll have to kill them. So, I mean, we just can't do that. So what are we going to do? And Ymiron again was like, well, we know how to put ourselves in stasis because the Titans used to put us in stasis all the time. We'll just do that again and we'll just sleep. We'll sleep and then we'll wait till the curse has, has lost its power and we'll wake up and we'll repopulate the world. That didn't quite work out as he planned because he didn't have he didn't see the, the Lich King coming. So 
while he while the Vrykul were mostly sleeping in Northrend, the Lich King came and did his Lich Kingy things and found them. And he was like, "Ooh, big crazy people I can use. Oh, I can I can work with this. You you guys need a god. I need followers. Um, I am a god." And they're like, "Well, he certainly seems to be a god. He can wake the dead and stuff." All right, sure. And he seems we'll to have... follow the death god. Yeah, and that's pretty much that's a down and dirty. I mean, it didn't really cover the the, the Valkyr or whatever, but we we still we're still learning with the Valkyr. Well, but we'll kind of get into that anyway. Yeah. Um, just to clarify, the Vrykul, when all of this went down, there was the quest out in Howling Fjord. It does specify that this was fifteen thousand years ago, so it was mm-hmm. five thousand years before the Sundering hit. So these yeah. guys, when they went into hibernation. They went into hibernation. They didn't even wake up for the Sundering. So the people that walked off, they just walked off. And apparently when the Sundering happened and the world split, those Vrykul, the, the midgets, the runts, were uh, split off from the rest of them up in Northern just due to the continental shift. Is that what you call it? I guess that's what you would call it. Yeah, I guess that's shift. the closest thing, yeah. Um, and that's why there aren't really any records of the Vrykul in particular, like down South too much, not too much. There's little bits and pieces here and there, obviously. Um, and obviously there's Titan lore down South that we know about. Um, the Vrykul though, what I find interesting about these guys is, you know, it says that they were created by the Titans, but it doesn't specify what their purpose was. There's like one point where they mentioned that they were, they, they fought in the war, but it doesn't say what they did. It's like, were they soldiers? I mean, you would assume, because if you go up to, uh, oh, which hall is it? It's Halls of... Stone? Or Halls of Lightning? Halls Halls of of Lightning. If you go to Halls of Lightning, it looks like there's a bunch of them being manufactured. And yes, that part of that was Loken creating soldiers for his own purposes. But it almost makes me think that that's how they were created in the first place. They were just created as like mass amounts of soldiers for... They were like a soldier class for this war that the Titans were fighting with the old well, gods. It's interesting well, you... too because the the halls of of stone have the creation forge in them. Yeah. And there's a specific thing in Halls of Lightning. No, it's in Halls of Stone, I'm sorry, because it's the uh oh, I always forget the name of the thing, the the, the big thing Bran wakes up. Oh, oh, the triumvirate thing or whatever. Yeah. yeah. The the when he when he wakes that thing up, the first thing it does is talk about how Loken reconfigured the uh, creation forge to make it impossible for the new ones that he's making to become flesh. Yeah. And so that's, that says to me that it's, it's similar to like when the Mogu reverse engineered the curse of flesh, Loken was told probably by Yagazaran, this is how this works. Well, it makes sense, right? This is how to avoid it. But he's got, yeah, he's got an old God whispering in his ear. It makes absolute sense that the old gods can be like, look, I can give you an army. I can give you an army to accomplish my ends. Mm-hmm. And here's how you do it. Here's how you reverse. Here, here's what you need to take out of the equation. And then everything will be fine. And it also seems to have also taken out their capacity for free will. Interestingly enough, because the the other the other uh, Vrykul, the ones that were that went to stasis fifteen thousand years ago, they can make choices. They can choose who to follow. Like Ymiron can make choices. He chose the Lich King. He was chosen by him as well. But they they picked each other. This isn't like the the Iron Vrykul up in uh, Ulduar don't have a choice. They don't. They just they serve. So well, that's interesting to me. That, that's also an interesting distinction too, because you wonder if that's that's what the big difference is. And we talked about this before when we we started talking about uh, the old gods and the titans and the creation of Azeroth as a whole. It's 
the specific creation of these these life forms on Azeroth, if the infusing of those natural elements and the you know, for lack of a better term, those corrupted materials are what give them that free will, are what let us have that free will as those player characters that are descendants from these these Titan creations. Uh, and then if the perfection of it or the removal of that curse or that sort of tainted material, quote-unquote, uh, just turns them into these perfect, absolute, autonomous, or not even autonomous, but like enslaved robot-type things. Well, I, I think Ian might remember this. Doesn't Algalon say something about that? Algalon. Your imperfection, that which gives you free will. Isn't that, I thought he said that. Yeah, he says your imperfection, that which gives you free... Hang on, let me look up the quote real quick here, because that's... It's it's uh, something that he says after the fight is over with. Yeah. I thought, like, he's, I would... like, he's like, holy heck, you things are not what I thought you were. Uh, yeah, per- perhaps it is your imperfection that which grants you free will, that allows you to persevere against cosmically calculated odds. You prevailed where the Titans' own perfect creations have failed. Yeah, which is interesting because it's like the other thing is is Algalon. When Algalon arrives, he seems kind of shocked that we've managed to do what we've done, and says that he's seen countless other worlds that have, you know, the Titans have crafted that have just failed, completely failed. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like. The curse of flesh, flesh is considered a bad thing, but at the same time, maybe that's what's making us as strong as we are. Well, and it's I think it's not only that capacity for uh, free will that makes it a good thing, but also Algalon makes mention of the fact of, you know, all these lives that were lost previously and, you know, they didn't have our tenacity. They didn't have our love for life. Maybe it's that capacity for emotion as well. Because if you're a robot, you don't care what the hell happens. You just go about your function. You just do whatever you're programmed to go do. But when you have that emotion and that free will, you can make decisions based off of what you're feeling and seeing and what you're processing. That could be all the, the difference in the world. It's really interesting, too, because um, Northrend is dotted with those engines, the yeah. uh, engine, the maker, and so forth, which is where not just the Reichel, but the Earthen and the uh, Giants come from. It's actually completely throughout the entire continent. It, they're all over the place. They're in um, Sholazar. They're in Storm Peaks. I'm pretty sure there's one in uh, a crack in oh Howling Fjord, right? Yes. They, yeah. yeah. So they're all over the place. They, they're kind of seated all over Northern, much like... Yogg-Saron's Reach is seated all over Northern, and maybe that's part of the reason why Yogg-Saron's Reach was so powerful, was that he was using existing Titan facilities, possibly using their technology. Um, he had Olduar completely locked up by the time we got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, everybody was that was in there was kind of dancing on the strings of his tentacly, tentacle fleshy whatever... Yogg-Saron's kind of gross. They're all kind of gross, but he, he yeah. in particular is, is really kind of... Um, Yogg-Saron, I think, I think I find Yogg-Saron probably the most fascinating of all of the old gods because of that weird thing that happens when you fight him where he goes into that whole... You, you go into his vision room mm-hmm. and you see the different visions of different periods of history and you realize that this thing, this thing that's been up on you know, up in Northern for how long has witnessed or has knowledge of all of these events. How, if he's been locked away up there, how does he know all this stuff? Does he know it because of the adventurers that have arrived or does he know it 
because the old gods are just kind of like everywhere at once. What's also and interesting it, to me is that you find Vrykul in the, uh, they're in Alduar, there's Iron Vrykul all over the place serving, but there's also Vrykul in the Twilight's Hammer. Yep. Yes. And they're in there. Like they break into Alduar. They're, tr- they're raiding it while you're in there. And they're there later in Cataclysm. They, they drop out of the sky onto the boat while you're trying to catch Deathwing. So the Vrykul are a really fascinating mixed bag. They, they, you know, there's Vrykul who obviously served Neptalon. Um, there's Vrykul who very clearly served Twilight's Hammer. Um, we've just discovered new Vrykul who served new things, and we'll talk about that later. But there's Vrykul who served, you know, Loken. And it's just like, and there's ones who are just like out, you know, minding their own sort of business in their little camps, just kind of raiding whatever they feel like. And it's just, they, I don't, it feels like when they woke up, they didn't have the slightest idea what to do with the new world that they found. Well, what's also fascinating for me about the Vrykul is that they also have, even in their fleshy forms, some of them, the, the most, I, I want to say the strongest ties to their original form and purpose, not just the stone forms, but they were, if they were created as foot soldiers to fight against the elementals at behest of, you know, the Titans in this war against the old, the old gods back in the day. And you look at all the different flavors of Vicryl now, they still hold such a, a strong connection to these elements. Like you talked about the ones that serve Neptalon. If you look at them they're it's all water magic. It's all this ability to, to summon the mists and things like that. And it's just, it's fascinating to me how varied that one particular race is, not not least of which because I love sh- shamanic stuff and, and things like well, that. Well, yeah, there's the Frostborn, too. There's yep. Frozen Ones. And then there's, you know, there's the Valkyr the light- who are, like, there's, weird. And there's the Lightning Ones that we experience with uh, General Brogrim, or I can never pronounce his name. Yeah. Um, but, like, he's he's obviously capable of controlling electricity and and. and and just lightning. So that's kind of a, an interesting point. Like just their, their elemental capacity is just always intriguing to me. I think probably what makes this interesting, obviously in wrath of the Lich King, this was a pretty big deal because this was a pretty big reveal. Even um, the events in howling fjord, because we didn't really know where humanity had come from. They just sort of were there. And we'd heard stories about like the first human tribes, you know, Arathor Virathi, all of that, and the Troll Wars, and that was long after the Sundering, long after you know the High Elves had established themselves in Kelthlas. We didn't really know anything about humanity prior to that, so this particular reveal, the one in Howling Fjord, was pretty much humanity is basically it is a Titan creation, it is a Titan construct that was afflicted with the curse of flesh and went wrong, and that adds them to an ever-growing list of creations of the Titans that have gone wrong in one way or another. Cause you've got them, you've got the dwarves, you've got the gnomes, you've got the Mogu, you've got, um, who else? There's more. There's Tolvir. more. The, the Tolvir. You've got the Tolvir. Um, they're all over Azeroth. It, it seems like almost every race that on Azeroth existing on Azeroth, native races are very, rare and very few and far between and it seems like the trolls maybe the akir and the tauren are possibly the only ones that weren't affected maybe no the goblins were created yeah possibly the furbolgs and pandaren but they seem to be related to the ancients as are like the um the wolvar and the ancients were were creations of the world rather than creations of the titans so that yeah, would make them least, kind of a native race yeah right. at, least, at least they're native but at least they're it's not like there is some speculation that the torrent are actually created by um Niazau, 
like origin the original Torin root race comes from Niazao because yeah. Before the Sundering, there wouldn't have been a divide between the the ancients and the the Pandaren uh, aspect. Wait, wait, what are they called aspects? What are they called again? My God, so many words for these things. <laughs> the you're talking about the ancients still. Are the, you talking about the August Celestials? Thank you, the August Celestials. Yes. Okay. The, the August Celestials and the ancients are basically the same thing. They're just the August Celestials are the ones who specifically hang out in Pandaren in Pandaria, but it's still basically the same thing. So before that happened, Neozao would have just been another ancient. And th- that means that the Tauren might actually be from Pandaria originally. Which would make, which would make a lot of sense. I mean, what are, what are the races that we don't know the origins of right now, really, truly? Tauren, Tauren, and Trolls. Tauren, Trolls. Um, Firbolg. We don't know where they goblins. come from. We goblins. We really don't know. Goblins were manufactured. We know that they are responsible, that we, they exposed themselves to something that changed them. Yeah. And and before was, that, they were was, like... They were kind of like enslaved by the Trolls. And yeah. then they ran into the Kajamite and it made them smarter and they turned on them. So they weren't prior to that. We don't know, actually. Right. We don't Tuscar. know what they were before the exposure to the Kajamite. Um, Tuscar. Yeah, that's right. Tuscar. We don't know where they came from. Uh, the Quillbore. We don't know where they really originate from. And I think Kobolds. No, we, we, think, we think we know about Kobolds because Kobolds are supposedly related to Trogs. Yeah. We, th- we think we know. We don't know for sure, though. Yeah. But the, the weird thing about Trogs is there's like Trogs are the other half of the Earth and destabilization from trolls. I mean from dwarves. Like you can go dwarf or you can go trog, mm-hmm. and the trogs then have the Grummels as their shaped descendants, because the the Mogu, who again Titan creations, took the trogs who were Titan creations that went wrong and turned them into Grummels. So it seems like right now all of the races that we don't know the exact origins of, they can all be tied back to. One ancient or another, except trolls. Potentially, except for trolls. Trolls, <laughs> trolls have the Loa, and they some of the Loa, Loa are ancestral. Are, they, they, they call Torin druids call the ancients. They call them Loa. Yeah. So that might be the tie there somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Um, and of course, March. March is when World of Warcraft Chronicle Volume One comes out, and theoretically this should explain some of this stuff as far as like evolutionary ties and that whole war, that war between the Titans and the old gods. We don't know exactly what's going to be in the book yet, but some of the preview art has been really interesting. There's been beautiful, beautiful pieces by, I believe it's Peter Lee that's doing the artwork for it. Some of the artwork for it. Um, And one of them specifically, it kind of shows the old gods like in their moment of glory right when they were going to start fighting the Titans. And then one of them shows, uh, oh my gosh, Zenashari. Mm. So, I mean, the the few pieces that we've seen from the book seem to indicate that these periods of history will be expanded upon, and we will see more about that. I don't know if we're going to see anything about, like, evolution, just basic evolution and that kind of thing. And I'm almost, like, part of me wants these mysteries to remain mysteries because... Once they're fully explained, it's like, oh, well, there's no surprises anymore. <laughs> well, part of me is also like, I really want this to come out, not because, not, and it's not that I don't like that sense of mystery. I want to know how right we, like, yeah, I don't know, I don't know about you, but like, we've 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 made a lot of calls over the last few weeks, and I want to know how close we've been on on these. <laughs> I, I'll be, I'd be disappointed if we were close. Yeah. I'm not trying for close. I'm trying for as far as possible. <laughs> 
we, we kind of go a little bit out there and I'm okay with going a little bit out there, but I'm afraid that if everything is defined, then where am I going to dig up new What? Who am I kidding? I will find new stuff to dig up. Oh, there's always something. To dig. There's always something. Um, Warcraft, the Warcraft universe, as far as that goes, it's like so expansive that there's always a new mystery to look into. Uh, Legion, however, Legion seems to be kind of well on the way to discussing a lot of these loose ends that we haven't had clarified just yet. It's definitely like, I mean, we did, we did a dungeon in Valshara the other night. Okay. Wait, 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 hold up, hold up. I'm not going to do spoilers. I'm just saying that we did it. Okay. And, uh, you know, that showed us that there's stuff out there that we didn't even know about. We didn't even know existed. And there's, there's also, again, I'm not going to give any spoilers, but there's quite a bit of very cool stuff in Stormheim. Yeah. And And also the warrior class hall and the halls of valor dungeon. And all of that stuff ties into stuff we've been talking about. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little more towards the end of the show. And we'll make sure that we slap a spoiler warning on there so people that are avoiding spoilers aren't going to get spoiled. But let's go back to the Vrykul because there's different kinds of Vrykul. Um, And if we talk about the Vrykul, we almost we have to talk about the Valkyr because they're kind of tied together. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Valkyr in particular, even after wrath of the lich king was over with the rykul or the valkyr actually came more into focus because they allied with sylvanas and they were helping her very heavily in cataclysm they they are the ones that raise the dead now they are the ones that are bolstering the ranks of the forsaken um and it's because of this deal that they made with sylvanas which is kind of fascinating in and of itself but um do you want to talk about the the valkyr in northern specifically we probably should. I mean, those are the only ones we actually have in game at the moment. Uh, the Valkyr are interesting because we don't really know yet exactly what the deal is with them. Um, there's been some stuff revealed recently that we can't talk about yet, but we do know that they they seem to have like a weird control over life and death. And the Valkyr, the Valkyr that were introduced in Wrath of the Lich Kings, the one that are the ones that are like allied with the Lich King himself, they're kind of a different breed almost. Yeah. Um, it's like he's recreated them. It's like he's recreated them, and they had um they had a place I can't remember the exact was it the Hildner? No, that was the ones who were resisting him. I'm trying to remember the exact place where the Valkyr were uh, being created. There was a place in in Val- Ymiryar. In Valkyron. Yeah, the ones in Valkyron were basically like going through various trials until the Lich King chose them, and then he empowered them. Like we saw that in uh, Uckard Pinnacle. We got to see him make Svala Sarograve into a Valkyr. Yeah. And he directly empowered her to do that. So that's like, it feels like he's copying something. Well, you know what it seems like to me almost? is So if the Lich King goes and uh, he, he he goes to the, the Vrykrul and they tell him stories of these these warriors, these these spiritual warriors, the, the Valkyr. And they explain and they, they describe it to him. It's almost like he's creating his own version of it based off of the description of the tales of people like, you know, King Ymiron and stuff like that. So, like, because we already know, and this is not really that much of a spoiler, we already know that there's different types of Valkyr. Uh, there seems to be a living version of the Valkyr. Uh, so the undead version is something like, it's almost like the Lich King remade them in almost like his image, so to speak. Yeah, whatever the difference is, though, they're um the ones that he made in the scourge. They definitely I don't know how to explain this. They 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 kind of choose they like choosers of the slain. That's what they are. They pick the ones that get to be like made you know 
undead Rykul by the Lich King versus the ones that he turns into Vargar. And the Vargar are like these horrible, like loathsome monstrosities that are basically just battering rams. The worthy with, ones get to kind of ascend and yeah. the unworthy ones get to be fodder. Yeah, basically bodies on the field, arrows in the quiver, the, as the Sylvanas var- would put it. <laughs> yeah, they're they're called Vargul, I think they're called. Um, yes. Yeah, I'm looking them up. And they're basically just shambling, rotting monstrosities. Uh, they're not found worthy by the Lich King. And so, essentially, it feels like Arthas is basically prioritizing how much of his power he used and where. Like, you guys are good enough to be shock troops, but I don't have to... I don't want to have to care about you. So yeah, boom, you can be that dead. Um, these guys, on the other hand, these guys are like really cool. They'll be my select. They'll get to be, you know, slightly better. These and, guys know how to get things done. So we'll put them in yeah. a slightly higher role. And these ones that have failed, all they're good for is just like mindless fighting. So we'll turn them into a mindless fighter. And it's the Rykul that make that judgment um, yeah. pretty much. And it's, it's interesting because it's, uh, the the modern Valkyr, obviously the the ones that are they're, they're fighting for the Lich King's favor. They're fighting to become these Valkyr because they have revered the Lich King as this kind of replacement god. Yeah, because they turned on the Titans. Yeah, and once they are created, once they've been transformed into Valkyr, they're pretty much bound to him. They don't have any choice in the matter. The choice no. is, do I want to be a Valkyr? And most of them seem to be really gung-ho about that idea. Yes, we would very much like to be one. Well, because you, you saw that, like, there's that village in the Storm Peaks that I've, that is not, that they're, like, not down with the whole Valkyr thing. No. And they're the, Hild- the, the Hildemir. I think it's the Hildemir. They're the ones who are engaged. They engage in a very similar kind of fighting. The Polar but, Bear Clan. Yeah. Yeah, Hildemir. They, they, one of them, however, when they get chosen... They go up to try and get Thorim to make them into his bride. And he's like, of course, he's been depressed over his dead wife for like 12,000 years or however long it's been. So he's like, he doesn't do it. But that's what, it's like the same thing. It's just, it's like, it's like Arthas took this cultural practice. And I I don't know what would have happened had Thorim chosen one of them. I I get the sense though. uh, And again, so much stuff to talk about later, but. It, it's like you, you wonder, what was Thorum going to do? If he says yes, okay, you can be my wife, what happens? Do they just, okay, I'll hang out up here on your Tower of Ice and we just both? Vote? Or does I she mean, ascend to something else? Yeah, or does what? she become of like a Valkyr or a Super Valkyr or something? What was Sif? If Sif wasn't a, a Watcher, because she, you know, she wasn't, was she just another um, Valkyr? You know, It's also a little part? weird that they have that kind of custom going on when the Titan Watchers are essentially... They're kind of like giant robots, almost. Yeah, giant rock people. But he has a wife, and he but loves the giant her robot would giant robot need love? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he's he's obviously like when you go into Thorum's chamber, um, he's being manipulated by an image of Sif, and she's right there, and she looks like just you know another Valkyr, not a Valkyr, uh, a Vrykul. She's just a Vrykul woman. So you, it's like what, what, what's going on here? There's a lot, a lot of weird stuff going on in in, in Valkyr culture, in Vrykul culture. Sorry. Yeah. So the Valkyr, as far as the Valkyr go, um, after the Lich King was defeated, obviously the Lich King is gone. Well, all of these Valkyr, they were bound to the Lich King. So once he was defeated, they had nowhere to go. Um, and in in the short story Edge of Night, it says that there's only nine Valkyr left. It's these nine that are up there on Ice Crown Citadel. 
Sylvanas goes up to Ice Crown Citadel, right? She goes up there to make sure that Arthas is good and dead because that's what she's after. She wants, she wants him good and dead. And she gets up there and she discovers that they've created another Lich King. They've created another Lich King and they've stuck him on the throne. And the, it's, it's the same thing all over again. Um, and she's kind of like, well, I'm done with my purpose. Arthas is dead. I have no reason to be. So she kind of throws herself off the frozen throne. And uh, when she does this, the Valkyr sort of approach her and they give her, they show her, they show her what will happen to the Forsaken if she's no longer there. And it's kind of horrifying because they're just going to, you know, they're just going to die out. Sylvanas, you have to keep in mind, Sylvanas, she's like this horrifying person. Um, but at the same time, she has the best interests of the Forsaken at heart in terms of these are her people they are the only people she has and she's going to lead them because nobody else will they're all stuck in the same sort of limbo between life and death where they can't be one they can't be the other and they can't go back to their former lives because of the things that they did when they were undead and you know within the lich king's control but what the valkyr showed her was that the forsaken will just die out i mean they can't procreate and with no arthas to create more scourge to create more forsaken there's nothing there's nothing left um and the valkyr said well we can help you with that but you have to help us because we're bound to this spot we can't go anywhere we can't do anything but if we had somebody else that we could bind ourselves to that would be great and what they ended up doing was they made this pact and brought sylvanas back to life one of them sacrificed themselves to bring Sylvanas back from death, pretty much. It was actually um, the leader of the group. It was the leader mm-hmm. of the group, yeah. It was Anne Hilda Caller. She sacrificed herself to bring Sylvanas back, which left eight. And then they went with Sylvanas, and they are the ones, when you start as a Forsaken now, as of Cataclysm, when you start as a Forsaken, you are awakened by a Valkyr. Yep, which I thought was a cool touch. It is, it is. It's a cool touch. Um, there was a really interesting thing about this though because the thing is is like if sylvanas is controlling the valkyr and if sylvanas is bound to the valkyr like this and if sylvanas is raising the dead with the valkyr how does that make her any different from arthas and this was what garrosh hellscream had a problem with it was it was a combination of how does this make you any different from the lich king and also as an orc, and as an orc of Draenor in particular, I mean, he didn't he didn't go through the first, second, third war. He was just on Draenor. His people revered the spirits of the dead. They revered their ancestors. They spoke to their ancestors on a regular basis. You know, they had chats with them and stuff like that. That was that was you honor the dead. This was not what Sylvanas is doing is not honoring the dead, and it's not letting the ancestors' spirits pass on like they should. So it's just this kind of like disgusting thing that Garrosh is witnessing here and Sylvanas is trying to tell him yeah see look now I can make my people the armies will be strong and he's just like what are you doing um and that's an interesting moment over in Silverpine <laughs> which also includes really strong language Garrosh is not at all he's not kid friendly he does not mince words about how he feels about what's going on here um so Sylvanas, uh, Silverpine is kind of interesting. Obviously, um, 
if you play a worgen you kind of see half of what's going on with that forsaken storyline but you really catch the majority of it and you catch the the, the high peak of it um when you play through the forsaken starting experience and if if you haven't played through the forsaken starting zone play through it up until the end of silver pine because it's worth seeing what happens there it's very important what happens there um it, let's let, let's specify. It is still important what happens there if you are interested in the continuing story of what's coming. It's very relevant to everything that's going on and everything. And it also ties into Anderhall. It does. Uh, Anderhall is also important to this because Anderhall is where we basically pare down the last. When so we basically we lose one resing Sylvanas the first time. That's when Inhild of the Caller dies. In Silverpine, when Sylvanas dies again, because I'm just going to say it. Uh, she gets raised again. I think it takes three of them that time. It takes three of them. It takes so three. That's, so eight, that's, seven, six, five, five. And then deaths. in Anderhall, the Alliance kills one of the Valkyr. Four left. And those four are completely unknown at the moment. We don't know where they are. No one has seen them. They're We're going not... to assume that one of them is still in the Forsaken starting zone raising people. Yeah, Maybe. but the other three are, are in hiding at the least. And possibly all four of them are. Now, it's very likely that Sylvanas has them still raising the dead. Because that's that's her modus operandi. On the other hand, I don't know how many corpses she's got left to raise up there at this point. Because she's been pretty industriously raising people. She's so, probably pretty... Well, I mean, she's probably been pretty busy raising everybody that she could raise. Yeah. While we were off on Draenor doing our thing on this alternate universe thing. Because we haven't really heard anything from Sylvanas in a while. Um, we heard from her a little bit towards the end of Miss Pandaria where she helped take down Garrosh because she was perfectly okay with the idea of taking down Garrosh. And I think that the reason she was so okay with it was because out of all of the Horde leaders, Garrosh was the only one who had his eye on her very specifically. And the other ones all had their own problems to deal with. Garrosh was the one who set the Corcoran up in the Undercity. He set up all of these like safeguards in place after, after the battle for the Undercity. Because he didn't trust Sylvanas. And he was the only one that didn't really trust her. The other ones don't really trust her either. But they've got other things that they're paying attention to. So she can kind of slip things by right under their nose. And I, I get the distinct impression that that's all she's been doing, really. Is just kind of quietly biding her time doing her own stuff over in the Eastern Kingdoms. While we've been busy with other things. Yep, makes sense. Uh, but... At any rate, the 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 four Valkyr we have left up until recently, those were the only ones we knew about. Like that's it for Valkyr on the entire planet Azeroth. Um, we know about the Cavaldir because they popped up in in Cataclysm, and they're the ones who were fighting the Naga, which maybe means they work for Neptalon, or maybe means they just don't like Naga. There's the Cavaldir are really fascinating. Yeah. They're probably, I think they're probably my favorite out of the whole of Rykul, Valkyr, Cavaldir, all of the different, you know, ranks and particular, I don't want to call them races because they're not really races. I guess they are. Subgroups, kind of. Subgroups of that particular race of beings. Um, some of them ascend, some of them are undead, some of them are water dudes and the Cavaldir are just absolutely fascinating to me. Um, I think at this point we're actually maybe gonna like wrap it up here and then jump into spoilers because we can't really talk about the Gavaldir without mentioning the stuff that comes up in Legion because okay. the stuff that comes up in Legion is is very heavily significant so um final thoughts on the Vrykul and what that means for humanity Rossi 
Um, I mean, it's pretty obvious that the uh, Vrykul think of us as degenerate little mutant runts. Uh, it's going to be very hard to have any kind of rapprochement with them as long as they continue to look down their noses at us. Do you think, I think, do you think if we're successful in beating back the Burning Legion, that would finally like earn their respect? Is it a matter of earning their respect, do you think? I don't know, because I think they're, we scare them. They don't want to be that. It would be an awful lot like hum- the way humans view Forsaken. Yeah. Humans look at Forsaken and go, oh my god, I don't want to turn into that thing. I don't want to die and be that. Yeah. Yeah. And the Vrykul are like, oh, my, my children are going to turn into little things? I mean, look at them. They barely come up to my knee, and they're, like, so weak. You know, and, and it's just, it's a lot of that, I, I think as long as that's there, it would be hard. Well, I, I think it's a, it's a mix, right? Because it depends on, we don't know what happened to all of the, we have an idea, but we don't know what happened to the previous, the, the Vrykul that left we don't know if there is you know the ones that left to go seek their holy lands the ones that left to go protect their young or whatever the case was there we don't know what lasting legacy they've left yet so there could be some that welcome us as warriors as saying okay you're tiny in pink but holy heck you just beat back you know how many times world destruction? Okay, maybe maybe we're not weak. Maybe we're just getting smaller and mightier. So, I mean, there, there's a chance there. Con- I don't know. Concentrated strength. Concentrated power. Um, Joe, do you have any other final thoughts on this? They've always been one of the most interesting races to me as far as, as races in Azeroth go. And I'm really, really curious to see all the different diverging paths that we have there. And I think what's going to be the most shocking, or, or at least the coolest part, is solidifying the the history of, of humanity in Azeroth through the discovery of more about the history of the, the, uh, the Vagral. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here for people that don't want spoilers. This is probably where you should go ahead and stop. We will talk to you guys in two weeks. I'm not sure what we're going to talk about just yet. As always, if you have any suggestions or anything, you can feel free to drop us a note on Patreon. Or you can also, I guess if you email podcast at blizzardwatch.com and just specifically mention you're looking for a topic on Lorewatch in the subject line, we will go ahead and take a look at those. We do like suggestions. Um, so yeah, we'll just go ahead and say goodbye to people who don't want spoilers. Goodbye, everybody who doesn't want spoilers. For those of you who do want spoilers, we're going to jump into what we see in Legion because what we see in Legion is actually pretty fascinating and pretty impactful. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I did not expect to see the Vrykul and the Valkyr and everyone else feature quite so heavily in this expansion. I I mean, I'll admit that I was hopeful to see more of them because, you know, they've been one of those races they introduced in Wrath, and they've been pretty tantalizing since. They've seen, like, little hints of them in Kata. We saw the little pieces of them in Kata, the, the Cavaldir in Kata. And then in Mists, they were hinted at. Uh, the Pearl of Pandaria hinted at them. So, yeah, I, I've wanted to see more, but I didn't really expect it. And, my God, uh, between the artifact lore that we get on them uh, and Stormheim, there's there's a lot. And the, the Halls of Valor, for that matter. Um, they're all over the Halls of Valor. Uh, if you're a-, a warrior, and you, you the warrior class hall is completely covered in, in Vrykul. They're everywhere. Which and, really makes sense. Yeah, they are led by Odin, correct? Yeah. Back when we talked about King Ymiron, back when Ymiron decided, no, the Titans suck, we're turning our backs on them, it wasn't just the ones who wanted to save their children who said no. A lot of them said no. You don't. You, first off, you're not king of all of us. Uh, you're king of some of us. 
the rest of us are going to go find the gods and, and get some answers. So a whole bunch of them left what, what's now Northrend and went south to what's now the Broken Isles and found Stormheim. And Stormheim is populated by whole tribes of Rykul. They're all over the place. And some of them found found Odin. Odin, who is this... He's a Titan Watcher. And it's weird because in Mr. Pandaria, we found out that Rodan was one of the big deals among the uh, the Titanic Watchers. And we find out even more in in, in our Legion because the, one of the artifacts is the Fist of Rodan. And it's specifically entrusted to him uh, to help forge the elemental planes. And so Rodan himself made the elemental planes. And he's in, he's in charge of the far south Mogu. He wasn't he wasn't really involved in the Vrykul at all. No. But Odin, meanwhile, seems to be an equally prestigious figure who's charged with rewarding virtue and valor. Um, if bra- the brave and the strong are his charge, he is to bring them to the halls of valor and create this army of of warriors who've died nobly and they're dead. All these all these Vrykul up in the halls of valor are dead. But they're not undead. They're this whole new this Stormforged beings. It's like they take the best Freikul, pick them out, and that's what the, where the Valkyr come in. The Valkyr that he has are pure creatures of the light. Yeah. And and it's the holy light. that That's what's you know, Anne can attest to this because we fought one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, they're pure creatures of the light, and they go down, and they select you, and they pull you up to the Halls of Valor and put you in a new body. And when you're in that body... You are this like immortal champion of this the halls of valor. It's called the the Valahar, and that's Odin's host. And it seems like it's like Azeroth is being used as a crucible to select these beings who are then put into the Valahar and are supposed to be like they're supposed to be this army that comes forth at times of like great strife. But they're being held at bay. They can't leave because Odin has made an enemy. And that enemy. Yeah, that enemy is Helia. And Helia is. Absolutely fascinating. Um, Helia ties directly into the Cavalier, and into the into the Valkyr, into the Valkyr, into she's kind of she's kind of at the crux of everything down there. Um, but yeah, the reason that Odin and the others they can't they're in the halls of valor. They can't leave the halls. They can't they they aren't allowed to leave because Helia apparently cursed them so that they have to stay there. They're they're trapped in there. Yeah. Uh, Odin can use his power to get like one out, mm-hmm. but like one, that's like, he, he used a lot of his power to specifically send one with you. If you do the, the warrior shield legend uh, artifact, mm-hmm. she's that's he Odin uses a great deal of his power so that one of them can come down with you to get, to pick another one up. And that's like, so it, it, the thing is, is apparently Odin made Helia a Valkyr and he, she did not like that. Yeah. He apparently the way that it, that it phrases it is that she was a sorceress and Odin betrayed her. He killed her and twisted her spirit into a spectral Valkyrie. And um, she didn't like that at all. Well, Odin forged what, what, what are the swords called? The war the swords, war swords of the Valar Okay. He, he stole, he, he forged those for the mightiest of his champions and Helia stole them. She she stole them and infused them with just like a piece of her rage and gave them to her own champion who used them to drag their souls, the souls of anybody that they fought into Helheim. Um, and Helheim is basically that's that's kind of where the 
souls of the unworthy and the and the dishonorable Rykul, that's where they go. <laughs> and that all ties into the Cavaldier because that's what the Cavaldier are actually for. Mm-hmm. They aren't serving Neptalon per se. Um, what happened basically were the, there was this tribe of Rykul and one tribe was struggling against the curse of flesh and they actually like brought in their priestesses and said okay you guys find a solution to this thing and all of the priestesses got together and they were like looking in the world spirits for answers to this and what they found they found hell yeah and the ritual went completely wrong and hell yeah ended up corrupting them even further so and 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 made them shifted them into the cavaldier so these cavaldier are they're, they kind of they manipulate the mists and things like that and they usually patrol the coasts but they're basically they drag the souls of the unworthy to Helheim that's what they're for <laughs> so it's like this weird and kind of cool twist to the Cavaldier that I was not expecting um, I thought for sure that they they like serve Neptulon or something like that but because because we had those Cavaldier that's that's the thing that doesn't make any sense to me right because we had the Cavaldier in Vashir and they yeah. were fighting. I have a question then. Sure. If they're, if they're made to drag souls to Helheim, why are they attacking Tuscar? Because they want souls. souls. They have souls. More yeah, souls but, for Helheim. But I mean, that that's the question, though. If if Helheim is specifically for the unworthy Valkyr, then well, no, because that's there's nothing that says it's specifically for the uh, the the, the Rykul. No, it's just the souls of the unworthy. And they're. The thing is, is that the, the uh, Cavaldir are are maniacs. Yeah, they're angry. They didn't want this. They're no. they have to serve Helia. They don't want to serve Helia. They they're were pretty much. They were looking for a cure for the curse of flesh, and instead they found Helia, and Helia just corrupted them even further. And like, they hastened the curse yeah. along to the point where these guys dissolve into seaweed at a moment's yeah. notice. You know. And the thing is, is that when they they drag the souls of the unworthy and dishonorable by their lights. Um, unworthy to them is anybody they can beat, and dishonorable is anybody who doesn't just lose to them. You know what I mean? They they don't. These are bad people. They're they're vicious psychotics, and th- that's fine by Helia because so is she. Helia wants the world to suffer, and the the Val the uh, Cavaldier are perfect. The thing is, is I honestly find myself wondering, Helheim. The only way to get there seems to be this giant boat. Yep. And I find myself wondering if the Naga attacked it. Like, Maybe. That's the kind of thing the Naga might do. The Naga might pick a fight and then be like, "Oh, these guys are crazy," because they wouldn't know who they were. You know or what they, they were? They went under. They went into their. You know, most of Rykul went into their summer, their slumber like five thousand years before the Night Elf civilization rose. They would have no idea who these guys were. They're like, "Oh, yeah, we'll just kill them." What they they they're seaweed people. Oh, what's going on? And you'll notice when you see the uh, the ones in the mists. Uh, in in Borean Tundra, they hate Naga. Even before Cataclysm, they hate Naga, and Naga hate them with a passion. I mean, a Naga gives you the Trident of Nastatan to kill uh, Leveroth. That's a Naga who gives that to you. Who gives it to you? It's like you know. Oh yeah, you're you're a horrible surface person. You're a cow person, but here, take this and go kill that guy. <laughs> but yes. you want to kill you want to kill the Cavaldir? Okay, cool. I will help yeah. you out with that totally. So it's interesting. I mean, there's I like some wondering. sort of something going on there. There's some sort of uh, uh, friction going on between between those two. And 
what I find interesting is like uh, in Vashir, in Vashir in particular, we didn't know why the Gavaldir were doing what they were doing. We didn't know why they were fighting the Naga. We thought it was because they were serving Neptalon and they were trying to protect Neptalon. Like they were trying to keep the Naga from summoning Ozmot. They were trying to keep the Naga from doing what they do, which is basically allied. They're allied with the old gods. So the Gavaldir, they aren't good guys, but they were kind of working on our side a little bit. Or it seemed like the, the were, enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. yeah, they were working towards the same ends. They they wanted to stop the Naga from invading and, and capturing Neptalon just as we did. Only now it's kind of coming to light. Well, no, maybe that didn't have anything to do with Neptalon at all. And maybe there's something that goes even farther back than that that we just don't know about. You know, yeah, I'd, love to, I'd love to see a throwdown between Jara and Helia at this point. Cause yeah. I mean, there's a point here where they mentioned that the. the uh, in Cataclysm, the the, the Cavalder we meet are, are led by Varkul the Unrelenting, who's attacking the Naga, and to burn the city, they want to attack the city of Vashir, and the, they want to steal the Crucible of Nasharan from them. Yeah. It doesn't say what they want it for. It, I mean, that the Crucible is what they use to summon Azumat. Yeah. Maybe they wanted to summon Azumat. I mean, keep in mind, they lost, the, the Leveroth was a Kraken, um, and Azumat's like a super Kraken. Like, there's different kinds of Kraken. One of them is the fishy-looking ones. Yeah. But the Azumat is, is, is a Kraken in Game Files. He's, he's an ultimate Kraken. Um, maybe they wanted Azumat, too. Who knows? But they definitely seem to want to kill the Naga real bad, whether or not they're working for Neptalon or not. For that matter, you know, who knows? Maybe Helia and, and, and Neptalon had a deal. Maybe. You know, she looks – if you look at her model – She's like all sorts of messed up and part water. She's well, got, yeah, because like, she's missing. like part mist and part. She's yeah. she's kind of like she's kind of like Mega Cavaldier. But the, the the interesting part with her model, her her ears, mm-hmm. her ears look kind of like Naga almost. They they've got like the points to them. You know what I mean? It's just it's very it's very bizarre. There there's something going on there that goes back further than the Sundering. Maybe even maybe it's something to do with Azshara, like Joe was saying. Maybe maybe Azshara had some kind of showdown at some point that we don't know about. Could be. But besides the Cavaldir, I mean, we have the the new Stormforged, who are like I said, they're like immortal second forgings. They're like pure. You know how we have the Curse of Flesh turns them into flesh. Yeah. The Stormforged are like big metal ones again. Okay. They're like straight up golden bodied metallic. Um, then they have there's there's a God King. In the uh, in Stormheim, uh, God King Scorold, I want to say his name is, and I can't quite remember where where he is. There he is, God King Scovald, and he he has a tribe of uh, his tribe of the Vrykul throughout Stormheim all follow him, like the various tribes that are in Stormheim. They all follow Scorvald. and Scorvald is like said, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna back a winner here. It looks to me like there's no way this world can be saved, but the." Gul'dan here has promised me that if we fight for them, the Legion will let us conquer worlds for them. And hey, I, I like conquering. We're all about the conquering, so... So when you go to Stormheim, you're you're basically after one of the Pillars of Creation, which is one of the uh, artifacts we're going to try to use to fix the world and close that giant hole demons are coming out of. Scorvald is seeking it too, except he wants to use it to you know help make the hole bigger and kill everybody. So the the Vrykul you're fighting in Stormheim are basically straight up they they've they've done the same thing that Ymiron did. They turn their backs on their gods. And they, they found a better god. Yeah. And this time it's the Legion. Which is but, even worse than the Lich King, yeah. let's face it. 
I mean, so, Legion created the Lich King, so yeah, so kind of a level of above. They've stepped up a little bit. The thing is, is not not all Vrykul seem down with this plan. Like you, you run into Vrykul throughout the place. They're like, yeah, no, you got to stop that guy. <laughs> yeah, this guy's crazy. He he's cuckoo for cocoa puffs. Like you don't. He thinks this is a good plan. Have you seen the green stuff leaking out of his face? It's um. So you've got you've got like there's like there's at least one guy that I'm pretty positive is in fact Odin taking mortal form who constantly he's the guy that gives you the initial warrior quests and he shows up throughout Stormheim kind of being annoyingly and insufferably vague. You know how they are like, go here and this will happen, but I can't tell you more. Why not? Because that would ruin the plot. <laughs> because Helia might find out that I'm here and that yeah. would be bad. Yeah, yeah, there's uh there there's all kinds of things going on. Obviously Helheim it's gonna be it it will be a dungeon in Legion. Um it is not open on the Alpha servers yet. I'm really looking forward to that one in particular. I'm looking forward to testing that one in particular. Um because you're on the boat. Yes. You're on the boat and you're going to the Vrykul under or the the underworld essentially. Mm-hmm. Um and we don't really know anything else about what happens in that dungeon or the story in that dungeon. So I'm kind of excited, although there's a little bit of apprehension there because I'm wondering if this is just going to be um, the airship round two or the train or the train round three. (laughs) (laughs) Either which way uh, it looks to be pretty fascinating. Um, And then I believe you mentioned Rossi that there seems to be some tie between the Mogu and the Rykul? I don't know if this is just the amusing place where I don't hold our models or not. Okay. I, but when you go to Stormheim, when you're doing the quests and you, you get to the first part of finding out that God King Scovald is after the the Aegis, you're sent to basically talk to this this Titan Watcher. Mm-hmm. And he's a straight up Mogu. Like it's a Mogu statue. Oh. And there's other Mogu statues all over the place and you're trying to put them together. And it's interesting to me because to a certain degree, it would make sense that there'd be a point on Azeroth where the Mogu and the and the Vrykul would meet. They, they, they kind of cross paths because they're kind of the same thing. It's just yeah. the, the Mogu were kind of the Titan, the little Titan creation things down south. And the and now maybe the Mogu were like the soldiers that were created down south. And then up north, that was the Vrykul. They were the soldiers or, that were created up there. Or originally, perhaps like each each like they were like ranks. Like you could have like infantry versus janissaries, yeah. or something. I don't know. All I know is they're using they use Mogu models for several statues. And Does you it put say the H model or anything on it? No, but it's a statue. Okay. It's not you know it's not like it could just be an art asset they haven't updated yet. Okay. I know that when you put when you put him together, he turns into a Vrykul looking. He looks a lot like Loken when you put him together. Okay. When you're fighting the parts, he's a Mogu. But so like Loken or like Raden? Uh, m- very much like Loken. Much more okay. generic than Raden. Okay. But it's interesting just just on a pure like what if thing. Like what if the Broken Isles are what's left of like a place where like they would have all come together. Like the Titans creations. This is where the pillars of creation are found. This is important to the creation of original Azeroth. Like... The Broken Isles are the last remnants of like the the area that was right next to the well. Yeah. The Well of Eternity was, was right south of here. It, this place was touching it. It all kind of ties together, and it feels like Legion is kind of pulling those strings a little closer together so we get a better look at what made Azeroth what it is to begin with. Yeah, and they've updated the Vrykul female models as well. Yeah, I noticed that. That's so, great. Uh, all that right. I wonder how many more of them we're going to see. Okay, well, we should probably wrap it up here because I think we're running a little over, but that's fine. Um, 
Joe, do you have any final thoughts on anything like Legion related specifically? Honestly, like you guys hit on something that I'm a little curious about myself and I'm, I'm kind of hoping there's a little more to this with the, the whole Mogu and, and, and Vicryl connection. I mean, for me, I'm just sitting here thinking about it. It would make sense because part of the thing about the Vicryl is they seemed very, very specialized to the environment they were in. It seems very something that the Titans would do is create these specialized forces for whatever area they were going to be fighting in, like to give them an advantage. Mogu tended to be more sorceress, or at least that's what it looks like. Yes, they were great warriors, but they also were able to command uh, magics at their at, yeah, at their back and command. Vikra were a little more warrior like. So I brute mean, I'm force. Yeah, although, force. I, although I they should did, point out. I got to point out the mystic, the mystic um, Vrykul and the in, the in Stormheim, plenty of rune magic. I was just going to say, place. I was literally just going to say, but there's been talk about the Vrykul harnessing the the whole the whole rune magic. So, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it seems like having different. Well, and that's that interesting too because things. the Mogu, the Mogu had rune magic that they were working with. They had rune casters, so there's like a connection there. There's a bridge there. Maybe Legion will fill that gap. I don't know. Um, Rossi, any final thoughts on Legion stuff? I'm just curious to finally, like, uh, I, when I get a chance to, I'm, I'm about like a third of the way through it. I need to get the rest of the way through it so I can see what happens with God King Skovald. I know that he's the end boss of Halls of Valor. Yeah. The dungeon, which is really confusing that that's also where the warrior class all is. <sighs> Every time I go there, I'm like, Wait, is this backstage? Like, where are we? But yeah, I'm I'm really excited about a lot of this stuff because we didn't see a lot of very cool. I honestly. I think we've missed a huge opportunity here to make them playable. I, I don't know necessarily whether we need them playable or not, but I, I'd love to see them. As far as I go, I want to see them open up Helheim for testing because Helia is like absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we've had a villain that really captured my attention and made me go, Oh wait, what's going on here? And um, she's one of those people, the whole story between her and Odin doesn't seem to be quite fleshed out. Or if it is, I just haven't discovered it yet on the alpha as far as what was their falling out? Why did he make her a Valkyr? Why didn't she want to be one? You know, that, that whole shift thing that went on where she cursed him after he cursed her, or maybe it went the other way around. We don't know. Yeah, like, and how did she become so powerful that she can actually bulk him and hold him up in in the halls of valor? Right. Yeah, that's like, a really good. That's a really good point. Like, if he created her, how the hell is she that powerful? And that's interesting too. And I'm wondering if that maybe ties into Ashara. Like, did she did she yoink some of Ashara's power while she was doing everything else? It would definitely explain the animosity with the Naga if that were the case. But yeah, this is all stuff that obviously we're gonna have to wait and see because um, the alpha. Not everything's open in the alpha just yet. Not every dungeon is open for testing in the alpha just yet. Um, Legion comes out later this year. World of Warcraft Chronicle Volume 1 comes out in March. And I would seriously recommend pre-ordering that if you haven't already and you're interested in lore. Because this is probably going to answer a lot of those questions that we brought up today. And questions that we brought up over the course of the podcast. Anyway... Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch, and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, like this one, a uh, better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ad-free site, mix, ads-free site experience. And as I said before, if you want to suggest anything for us to cover on Lorewatch, please feel free to leave a note on Patreon letting us know or you can send an email to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Just make sure that you put Lorewatch 
somewhere in the subject line so we know what it's specifically for. And I think that wraps us up. So uh, we will just go ahead and say goodbye here. Joe, Rossi, say goodbye. Bye. Bye, guys. Goodbye, everybody. We'll see you next time.